The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
message today is entitled, Shaped for a Noble Purpose. Our lives don't just shape themselves. Circumstances occur. Influences come. And these begin to shape our lives. But in our inner life, there is also a powerful force that shapes us into who we are. We must become conscious of those shaping powers in our own heart, in our own life. When I was raising my two daughters, I saw tendencies in my daughters. They were different in April from Heidi. And so I related to April differently than I did to Heidi. I'll never forget when April was about six years old, she screamed an obscenity at her mother. And I very calmly said, April, come with me. I took her to the bedroom and I said, do you understand why I'm going to give you a spanking? Yes. Because I cussed at mom. I said, yes. So I gave her a very sound spanking. And when I was finished, she was angrier than when I started. And so I said to her, you need to stay in your room now and think about what you've done. And so I turned to walk out of the room, and she cussed me out. So I turned around, I came back in the room, and I said, do you understand why I'm going to give you another spanking? Yes, because I cussed at you. I'm mad. I said, yes. And I gave her another very sound spanking. And I said, you need to stay in the room and think about why you got a second spanking. And I turned to walk out of the room and she said, I hate you. And I came back in the room and I said, you understand why I'm going to give you another spanking? (laughs) And I gave her another very sound spanking. And I said to her, sweetheart, we can keep this up all day if you like. Evidently, the pain level is not sufficient yet for you to understand that you cannot act like this. You're a part of a family. You're loved and you're cherished. And this behavior is unacceptable. It will not happen in our family ever again, or I will continue to give you spankings because my arm will not grow tired. But your bottom will. So you decide. Now I'm going to leave you here. And I'm willing to give you another spanking if I need to. Would you like another spanking? No. Okay. Think about what happened and I'll be back in an hour and we'll talk. Well, when I came back in an hour, Tears were flowing down her face. Her heart was utterly broken. She felt utterly separated from the family. And I prayed with her. I held her. I kissed her. 
I saw something developing in April that I could not allow to develop. An angry bitterness that would destroy her family. Now, you can argue with me about the way I dealt with it. I make no claim to have been right. I'm simply saying I saw a flaw and I had to deal with it because I knew it would make her life ignoble. It would not result in glory in her life and in her family. And so I had to step in in a very painful way. Now, Heidi, when I saw something growing in Heidi, all I had to do was speak a soft word to her. And immediately the tears came. The repentance came. I never gave Heidi more than one very light spanking. All it took was a kind word of correction. Some of us need two befores. Some of us quickly adjust the sale. But there's a necessity in our lives to carefully examine, even at your age now, what are the flaws that began to emerge in you as a child that have never been corrected, that are now causing great trouble in your heart and in your life? We need to identify those. And we have a father who knows how to administer that quiet, gentle word. Or who knows how to apply the whip. (coughs) Depending on our personality and what he needs to do to get our attention. Now, probably most of you have never sat on the back of a horse that had the bit in his mouth. Do you know what happens when a horse gets the bit in its mouth? It means he's biting it with his teeth. So when you pull back to try to say to him, stop, you can't influence his pain level. If the bit is not in his teeth, it's at the back of his mouth where there's a very tender place. And when you sit on his back and you begin to pull gently back and he doesn't respond, You pull more firmly, and his mouth hurts. And when you're horseback riding, the last thing you want is for that horse to get the bit in its mouth and then run with you on its back. Life-threatening. Particularly when he's running through woods. And there are branches hitting you in the face. I've been there. I've done that. It's terrifying. Well, we, rather than deal with the flaws of our character, want to get the bit in our teeth and say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm the man. I'm going to do what I want to do. And now I'm all grown up and nobody can touch me. Oh, yes, Mr. Law can reach out and touch you. God can reach out and touch you. So we need to look carefully at the basic character of our heart and our life and recognize that those flaws 
probably came into evidence early in childhood, but there was not a wise and discerning mother or father who could deal with that issue in your heart, or your mother or father was permissive in saying, what's most important is that I be friends with my son or my daughter. Parents cannot be, first of all, friends with their children. It is not God's plan for us to be close friends with our children when they're small. If we're not friends with our children when they're small, we will be friends with them when they're grown. There is a permissiveness, a refusal to look at the character flaws of our children for the sake of our own comfort. We ignore them. We distract them, and we don't deal with the reality of who this child is. And it's cute when the child is three and four. But when they're teenagers, it's no longer cute. And when they're adults, it's no longer cute. And now we're all grown up. And now we have to go back and deal with the character flaws before those character flaws lead us into total destruction in our lives. It's not an easy process. The early Puritans, and I love Brother Owens and some of the other early Puritan preachers, do you know what they preached? Searching sermons (coughs) regarding every aspect of a person's character to endeavor to expose the depths of your heart before a holy God so that you would have an opportunity to repent and be saved. Our last day on earth and our first day in heaven, we will be the same person. There's only one thing we're going to take to heaven if we go, and that is our character, who we are. Our bodies will be changed. We'll we'll receive new bodies in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be changed. But who we are inside will be the same person we are on the last day on earth. How would you stand before a holy God today? Are there character issues that God has been trying to deal with you on because your parent or parents could not deal with you on? Are there character issues where you are bitter and angry, where you are filled with all of the love and lust of the world? Or have you allowed the Holy Spirit to come gently and quietly into your heart and correct those character flaws. Now, you may say, I don't have any character flaws. Guys, just ask your wives. Gals, ask your husbands. They know you best. Or ask a friend for an honest evaluation of how they see you functioning in life. And if you have Godly friends, 
they will tell you what they see, hopefully with great mercy. There is one character in the scripture that is most apparent. This person is King Saul. He was appointed over the inheritance of Israel. And from the very beginning of Saul's life, he was affected by some historical events that had taken place in the past. The Benjamites had been exceedingly wicked. And because of that, all of Israel had risen up against the Benjamites and had killed almost all of them. There were only 600 left. When the war was over, they found wives for these 600 Benjamites. And the tribe of Benjamin began to grow again. But there was a psychological, traumatic impact on the life of the Benjamites so that they said, we are the least of all of Israel. They did not think highly of themselves. Their tribe had been destroyed. And so they grew up believing they were not important, punished, cast aside. So God chose a Benjamite to be the first king of Israel out of his grace and his mercy to try to reestablish the Benjamite tribe in his presence. The response of King Saul is, why would you talk to me this way about being important? I am nobody. I am the least. Now, this character flaw of utterly putting himself down is to be carried through the remaining part of his life. And because this character flaw was never dealt with, this put down of himself and this disgust and inner hatred of himself was never dealt with. You remember where Saul was when they came to reaffirm the kingship and they were going to choose a king. And so the lot was cast and it fell on Saul. And he wasn't in the company. Where was he? He was hiding in the baggage because he felt so bad about himself. He's called out. He's made king. Chapter 9, verse 21. But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such things to me? He could not accept that God wanted to make him king. Then we find he is made king. He has some success as king. He is reaffirmed as king. And then God gives him direction through Samuel. It's found in the 13th chapter of the book of First Samuel. God had given direction that 
that he was to wait seven days, that he was to allow Samuel to come. And by the way, just another quick indicator. When he went to his first battle and he called men to follow him, he threatened them, showing again the smallness of his heart. And he also said, follow, follow me and Samuel. So he could not stand on his own two feet. Everyone did what he told them to do. And now he's being told to go to Gilgal. But Samuel does not show up after the seven days and the Philistines are surrounding them and going to destroy them. So finally, he says to the men in 1 Samuel 13, verse 9, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings just as he finished making the offering. Samuel arrives. And Saul went out to greet him. And he says, what have you done? Now, I want you to see this character flaw of putting yourself down. When you're given power, suddenly you step into pride. So someone who doesn't feel good about themselves in Jesus, if you give them an opportunity, will become a tyrant. What I want you to see in Saul's life is that the basic character flaws of his life flip-flopped one one side of the coin to the other side. I'm nobody, I'm everything. Because that was his protection. You look at a bully. What motivates a bully? The smallness of his own heart. And the lack of his own courage. And so he wants to beat up on smaller people to prove that he can do it, that he's somebody. A character flaw. Samuel does not spare him. What have you done? And Saul replies, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time. In other words, it is your fault. Blame is a character flaw, but it grows out of something else. It grows out of your own smallness and your refusal to take responsibility for what's happening. I always rejoice when a person is willing to say to me, I did it, and I'm responsible, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Those words work wonders in relationship. Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come on time, I thought, I thought. What did he think? He referred back to a childhood flaw of character. And out of that flaw of character, he acted. Now, please hear what I'm trying to say to you today. Every action you take needs to be carefully examined to see what the root of that behavior is. 
And until you deal with the root of that behavior, the behavior will not change. So when rage overcomes your heart, what is the root of that rage that has sprung up in your spirit? You can't just say, oh, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I won't get mad again. Yes, you will. The root's still in you. The root has to be identified with the character flaw that is glaringly apparent in your life. Let me try to be specific. A person who does not feel good about themselves will try to control everything around them so that they can feel good about what's happening. And when someone does not agree with how they're trying to control, they become enraged again. And so now they repent of their rage, and they say everything's okay again. No, nothing is okay again, because the character flaw is still in place. As long as we deal with the superficial sins of our heart, we'll continue to commit those sins. There has to be a time in Jesus where we go deep into the heart and say, Jesus, what is this flowing out of in my spirit? I don't want this anymore. I want to be changed. I want to be like you. And the good news is the blood of Jesus brings total deliverance from bondage. Every character flaw is met in the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to continue walking in bitterness and anger, in pride, in jealousy, in dishonesty. We don't have to continue walking in those things. If we'll stop and say, Jesus, what is the character flaw in my heart that you want to get at? And God will keep bringing circumstances and people and events into our hearts until finally we say, I am sick and tired of this response in my heart. I don't want it anymore. Okay, what's causing it? What's it flowing out of? Our lives are organic. They're not mechanical. You know, if if I could sit down with you for, for a few minutes and you say, my problem, pastor, I'm angry. Okay, let's get rid of the anger. Dear Jesus, please take the anger. Amen. Everything's fine now. Just believe that the anger's gone. Are you kidding me? That's mechanical. Will you drive your car into the shop? You say the headlight's out. Let's jerk that headlight out. Plug a new one in. You're good to go. Your headlight works. That's mechanical. Organic is the seed is planted. It grows and it grows until it finally begins to produce the fruit of hostile bitterness. Or the seed begins to grow until it produces an overwhelming power of uncleanness in your heart. Well, you can't deal with the uncleanness. You can't deal with the anger. You can't deal with whatever that fruit is in your heart until you're willing to go down deep into your spirit by the power of God and deal with what it's growing out of. If I go out in my yard and I cut down a tree, there will be a stump there. 
and the stump is going to sprout. And it all starts to grow all over again. But I tell you what, if I bring in the tree man and he grinds out that stump and he pours in the liquid that will kill out those roots, that tree's not going to grow again. It's done. But you see, if we love to live in an unconscious manner, where we're just the victim of everything that happens to us, and it's everybody else's fault, and we just wish other people would straighten up and do what they're supposed to do, we'll never deal with that character flaw of our heart. And King Saul had a character flaw. And because of that, he acted foolishly, the scriptures say. Now, God had given him a new heart. Sovereignly, in a moment, given him a new heart, anointed him with the Holy Spirit. But there still existed the character flaw in his, in his character. And that had to be dealt with. So we can come to Christ. We can be converted. We can be changed. And that old character flaw is going to come popping up sometime of lying, of stealing, of lusting. That thing's going to spring up again, and it's got to be dealt with. But if we're unconscious of it, or if we say it's somebody else's fault, how can it be dealt with? It can't be. There's no way. And that fruit will grow back and overcome. And in Saul's life, even though he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, he was given the full presence of a new heart. The character flaws in his life continued to grow until he committed suicide. He would rather kill himself then deal with the character flaws that God wanted to change in him. Suicide is the ultimate sign of selfishness. <coughs> it's the end of a journey of utter refusal to deal with the reality of my character flaws. And probably there's not one of us in this room who has not at some point in our life said, I wish I could just die. You've never said that, have you? I'm sick of this. I just want to be out of here. I'm done. I want to die. Why do we say that? Because momentarily we lack the courage to face the reality of our sin. You know, I'm hearing people say something really funny to me. They'll say to me, Pastor, does it take guts to get old? Or they'll say to me, Pastor, you're really well-preserved. Now, it's all I can do to keep from smacking them. <laughs> so don't try it. We come to the end of our life. You know what? It doesn't take any skill to get old. It just takes waking up every morning 
and you will grow old. And I've discovered that being old does not mean being wise. I used to think that older people were very wise people. I've learned that's not true. Some people have only had one year of experience in their life. Every year has been the same. So they've experienced it many years. But never been willing to deal with the character flaws of their heart. And so when they're ready to die, those character flaws are now enlarged. When my mother was sick in the nursing home, I went in one day and she was crying. And I said, Mom, what's wrong? She said, I hate this place. I hate these people. I hate being in this bed. Oh, she went on and on. I said, Mom, you're much older than me, so you should be much smarter than me. But please hear what I need to say to you. When you get old, you either get better or you get bitter. And you get to choose. The tears dried up. She said, I want to get better. I said, okay, no more pity parties. And we began to talk about what needed a change in mother's life. For her to get better. What needs to change in your life today? So you can get the full healing power of the Holy Spirit in your heart. What character flaws are you aware of that you keep hanging on to and you keep playing around with because you don't want to deal with them? You've made excuses for them all your life. You've said, oh, I'm just that way. No, nobody's just that way. You are what you create. So what do you need Jesus to do for you? How do you need him to come into your life and begin to expose and unfold in you those character flaws that at one time were not your fault? It's just how you were born. Abraham Lincoln, however, said by the time a man Gets to the age of 40, he's responsible for his own face. No longer mom or dad's fault. It's no longer brother or sister's fault. It's my responsibility. So what do you need to begin to work on in your spirit that is a character flaw? I have a dear friend, a man I cherish. We were sitting together, and we were having dinner, and we began to talk about the block in his life. And I said to him, there is a block in your life, and you will never achieve in your life what you're hoping for until you deal with that block. Do you want to talk about it? I had to ask his permission. And he said, yes, I do want to talk about it. I said, okay. 
I said, there is a lack of tenderness in your heart. You are hard-edged. You are intellectual. And compassion is not a part of your life. And I said, I expect that happened from the time you were a child. I suspect your parents did not treat you with tenderness. I suspect that they were pretty hard on you. And it was just the way they were raised. But I said, if you don't correct this character flaw, you will be unable to have intimate friendships with other people in the body of Christ. And you will fail in your work that God has called you to. And he said, well, how do I get tenderness? He said, you're right. I don't feel tender toward anybody. I want to do what's right. And so I discipline myself. And I try to help those I'm responsible for to be disciplined. And it brought us into a discussion of who is Jesus and what is his job and what is our job. See, for many years, I was all tenderness and no toughness. I was a, I was a teddy bear. Well, I remember a man sitting down and talking with me and saying, Ray, you have a character flaw. And my heart dropped. I thought I'd done everything right. He said, you're a teddy bear. I said, what's wrong with being a teddy bear? He said, because until you become a grizzly bear, you can't do the work of Jesus. And that brought forth a whole long conversation. And then in my private prayer time in scripture, the Lord said to me, I'm going to change you and make you into a threshing sledge. I said, Jesus, I don't want to be a threshing sledge. I just want to love people and be loved by people. No, I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge with new and sharp teeth. I said, Jesus, I don't want any sharp teeth. That means blood. He didn't say a word. You judge the result of the cake mix that God made in my life. He has given me the gift of tenderness and sweetness, but he's also made me a grizzly. Speaking confrontational truth and calling people to leave their sin and follow Jesus. Now, I will admit, I try to say it to you all in a way that you don't feel the knife going in and you don't feel the knife going out. And I escape to safety before you see the blood flowing. Okay, what I'm trying to say to you today is we cannot allow our lives to just flow out without carefully examining what our character is. And then dealing honestly with it before Jesus and praying that we have friends who will address us in an honest manner and confront us with the character flaws they see that are blocking us from moving forward. I said to one of you this week, it's your responsibility to go to your boss on a weekly basis and say, 
would you please give me an honest evaluation? Are you pleased with my work and how can I improve it? Well, if you dare do that with your boss, you might get some very interesting feedback. But I would suggest that you also might want to do that with your wife or your husband. Husband? How are you feeling on a scale of 1 to 10 about how I'm functioning as your wife? Oh, four? Honey, what would it take to get me to a 10? Well, you're going to have to stop arguing with me. You're going to have to begin to do something about being responsible for dinner. I don't know what the list would be, but believe me, you'll know. Or say to a friend, on a scale of one to ten, how close are you with me? Have you ever said that to somebody? I don't want to be distant from you, my brother. What's standing between us? Why is there distance between us? What needs to change so that we can fellowship fully in Jesus Christ? Believe me, that other person will be able to give you a very clear answer. You know, I'm so tired of pretend. I want the truth of Jesus and I want to walk in it. And I don't want to cover up my character flaws. And yes, your pastor still has character flaws. And I'll tell you one very specific one. Watch out for it. I will be very understanding. I'll be very considerate. I'll be very kind. And then suddenly, at some point, I've had enough and I mow grass. And you're done. And I know some of you, I could identify you by name, who are the same way. Very pleasant. Smile. Love you. Till you reach a certain place. And then you're done. It's over. Am I talking about any of you? Well, I'm not going to deal with it today, but you may want to look at the story of the Lord finally being done with King Saul and telling him, I have rejected you. Our relationship is over. You go ahead and be king over Israel. You're responsible. You go fight the wars. I'm not talking to you anymore. We're done. (coughs) Do you know what? This man would not repent. And finally, he came to a place of abject horror. He was facing the Philistine army. He had no ability to deal with them. And he tried every means possible to get God to talk to him. And God wouldn't talk to him. So he goes to a witch to see if the devil will talk to him. And the devil was happy to talk to him. Because they spoke the same language. And he sits down at a witch's table. And feasts, and then goes 
and commit suicide. Now, there's another story, and I'm not going to tell you this story. I'm just going to read for you the psalm that came out of this experience. It's in Psalm, the 23rd chapter. And this is the cry of my heart. Listen to this. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. A statement of faith. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd is the one who uses the staff to rescue and the rod to punish. He's saying, I am submitted to the Lord. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now listen. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David is saying, I will not sit down at a witch's table and put my feet under her spread. I will sit at the table of the Lord, and I will put my feet only under the table of the Lord. Now, where do you always go to put your feet under your table? I do that in my home. What he's saying is, I live with Jesus. I live with the God Almighty. And I'm not going to go out and prostitute myself by sitting and putting my feet under the table of a witch. I am going to put my feet under the table in my home, the table of Jesus. I sit at his table. I feast at his table. Now, if we will sit at the table of the Lord, it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What are my enemies? My enemies are the character flaws and the sins of my life. He's saying they're not going to sit and feast at the table with you. They have no more power over your life. You instead are going to sit there and they're going to have to be on the outside where they can no longer control or influence your life. You are going to sit at the table of the Lord and not at the table of your character flaws and of your sin. You are going to feast at the table of the Lord. And at that table, it says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. In other words, there will be a blessing of God for you at that table. And he's not going to be stingy with the wine. He's going to pour it and pour it, and it's going to even overflow. We don't serve a stingy God. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Those of you who are married or who have been married, do you know what it's like to be embraced by your sweetheart before you go out into the world? Be held and cuddled and prayed over. Wives, 
to be able to go out from the table of the family knowing that the blessing of God is accompanying you and that you are covered by the one who loves you. So you need no fear. You go out in joy, having been given the fullness of love. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I'll never forget the day Jan and I got on an airplane to fly to our honeymoon. And the hostesses brought to us at our seat a bottle of wine. And they said to us, it is so obvious. Love is flowing from you too. Are you married? We said, we just got married. We're on our honeymoon. And they said, you have changed the whole atmosphere of the cabin of this airplane with your smiles and your love. We were filled with love and love was following behind us. Have you ever thought of turning around and looking behind you and seeing what you're dragging along behind you? Is love following you and your footsteps or is bitterness and anger and recrimination and sin following behind you? What follows you? Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, the moving van is not coming to my house. I'm never moving again. I'm living in the house of the Lord. And the goodness and the love of the Lord is going to follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to sit and feast and put my feet under the table of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to sit at the devil's table. Some of you in this room have been sitting this past week at the table of the devil. With anger, hardness of heart, accusations, indifference, complacency, fatalistic thinking nothing can ever change. I'm caught in this darkness and I can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. Go to the table of the Lord. Feast at his table. Let love follow you. Let compassion follow you. Mighty God, the earth belongs to you and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Lord, I choose today to sit at your table. I choose today to put my feet under your table. And I ask that you would anoint my head with oil. I ask that my cup would overflow. I ask that you would force my enemies to leave. I ask, Lord, for peace and joy in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress 
Brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. So glad and free, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, He is the just one, He hath the words of life. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth, he is the living way. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Greatest, highest, I will come.